Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo starts now. now. Straight up, two o'clock on this Thursday afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome into today's edition of the Burns and Gambo Show here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. My name is Dave Burns, alongside the one, the only, John Gambadoro. Hi, Gambo! Burnsy, what's going on? You got uh, anything Mm. you want to just reveal to me right now that you didn't include in your email, like yesterday's bomb drop about the DeAndre Ayton, Kyrie, everything? Anything you neglected to mention today? My kid was playing wiffle ball against the garage and broke a window, and they don't have those windows anymore, so I had to buy two whole new garage doors. Can I be honest with you when I say I don't care? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not as ball. it's not quite as just like ball. DeAndre Ayton, you know Kyrie Irving. Bro, no offense, was playing wiffle ball. This yeah. is going to do terrible on Twitter, man. I know, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Seriously, no, you know, I you know. put this on Twitter is going to get no uh, traction at all. Gambo's no, I'm telling about you, ball. I think the Mavericks have interest in Ayton. The Mavericks, I believe, the Mavericks would look at an Ayton for Kyrie Irving trade. Because yes, I don't think they want Kyrie back. I don't think Luca's going to want Kyrie back. I think a big would fit in well. You go pick and roll, Luca and big. Um, you know, th- so they got to try to get something for Kyrie somewhere in a side and trade. Kyrie's not going to go to, it's only three teams with cap space. He's not going to go to one of those teams as a free agent. So it's likely something with Kyrie will be a sign and trade. If you missed the yesterday of the show, the big moment was Gambo was like, oh yeah, I forgot to put this in my email. Did I mention to you that the that, yeah. Mavs might be interested in a DeAndre Ayton Kyrie Irving trade? No, Gambo, you didn't mention that at all. Thanks for bringing it up yeah, right it now be, in the middle would, of the show. I would say Appreciate it could be that. explored. I would think the teams might explore that in the offseason. You know, the question would obviously be what the hell did the Suns do at center? But you know nobody wa- nobody wants to pay a center thirty five million unless he's Jokic or Embiid. Sounds like the kind of thing that the Mavs might want to do. I don't know if the Suns would want to do, but yeah, yeah, that was the bomb you dropped yesterday, and it was kind of had our head spin. Uh, nothing, so nothing like that today. I, I mean, other than your, other today, than the no. wiffle ball, and yeah, that was, by the way, how does a wiffle ball break a garage? They door? make they make really heavy wiffle balls nowadays. It's a wiffle ball. No, they don't make those. Not the one with the holes in them. They make other wiffle balls that the kids play with. And yeah, you know, my, my garage had like you know a bunch of windows on it. It broke and like my they couldn't re, couldn't replace it. They don't make them if anymore. If your kid is throwing a wiffle ball hard enough to break garage door glass, you should yes. get a, a professional scout on that kid right now. Now I had to buy ball. two brand new garage doors. Wow! Two. Can I present an alternative argument? Now I have to have them sure. painted. Sure. Maybe it's the windows that are the problem, <laughs> and there's a reason why those windows aren't made anymore. Maybe because they break when wiffle balls are thrown at them. Exactly. Perhaps. perhaps. Yes, that's perhaps the case. I, mean, I broke a window or two when I was a kid, but it didn't cost me as much as the two damn garage doors just cost well, Let's weigh in with our top story of the day here on the Burns and Gambo Show, shall we? Burns and Gambo, the weigh-in. Brought to you by Revitalize Weight Loss. Michael Malone, head coach of the Denver Nuggets, yesterday praising the guy who maybe who single-handedly has influenced this series mm. more than any other. And he's not Jokic or Murray. No, he's not. It's Aaron Gordon. Not Aaron Jokic. is a definition of selfless. I mean, talk about a guy that... Um, knowing that Michael and Jamal was back, just has checked his ego out the door the whole season. And, you know, he's quietly goes under the radar, but the impact he is having is so profound, both on offense and defense. Um, you know, taking the other team's best player, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, last series. Um, obviously, Anthony Edwards was great, but, you know, the job he did on Carl Anthony Towns, I thought was stellar. Uh, the job he's doing on Kevin Durant right now. 
Game three, obviously not until tomorrow, and we all would agree that getting Kevin Durant on track is task number one for the Phoenix Suns in this must-win situation tomorrow. Aaron Gordon has made that very, very difficult so far. Yeah, column in uh, the Denver Post called him the Dragon Slayer. The Dragon Slayer. The Dragon Slayer, yes. Wow. Through two games in about 17 minutes while guarded by Gordon, KD, Kevin Durant, has shot 8 for 20 from the floor, 1 of 5 on threes. He's shooting from the floor, 20% from threes, and he's only got two free throw attempts and five turnovers. That's NBA.com tracking stats. So Aaron Gordon, I mean, it's a a little hidden gem there. I mean, you talk about how good Murray was in game one offensively, how good Jokic was overall in game two, and then the big shots by KCP, the the, the two big daggers, three three three-pointers in the fourth, but two daggers late. But it's Aaron Gordon's defense on Kevin Durant that is really propelling the, the Nuggets to not only be up to nothing, but feel really confident about their chances to advance. Right, let's go through those numbers again real quick, because people might have like skimmed over them. Through two games, and in 17 minutes specifically, while KD has been guarded by Aaron Gordon, KD has missed 12 of the 20 shots that he's taken. That's a 40% make rate. He's one for five on threes. That's a 20% make rate. He's only had two free throw attempts. That, to me, is the, the big number there. He's got five turnovers. That, to me, is also the second biggest number there because that speaks directly to kind of what's going on. That's all according to, as you say, NBA.com tracking stats. And and this is the second straight series. Here's more Malone talking about Aaron Gordon and what he's done to KD. This is not bulletin board material. He is not stopping Kevin Durant. No one is. But he's making it hard. That's all you, all you can hope for. He's making it hard and not giving him any easy ones. Um, so he's locked in. He's disciplined. He's selfless. Offensively, uh, his efficiency right now around the rim from the three-point line and most importantly from the foul line he's just going up there and relaxed taking his time and shooting the ball with great confidence and I, I think these seven games have been some of the best consistent basketball that Aaron Gordon has played in a Denver Nugget uniform you talk about the offense game one he was really good offensively you know I'm not into the whole analytics type stuff but it does say his offensive efficiency rating is 135 points per 100 possessions that's better right now than and Nikolai Jokic, it's better than MPJ. Um, he's been really good, shooting the free throws really well. It's usually not a great free throw shooter, but he's shooting about 89% from the free throw line. And then you look at the Minnesota series and what he did to Carl Anthony Towns. When when Cat was guarded by Gordon, he had nine turnovers and 10 made baskets. So, and he only shot 37% from the floor and only 11% from behind the arc. One of the things we talked about was before that we even knew the Suns were going to play the Nuggets, we uh-huh. talked about how you know teams that can defend the Phoenix Suns are the teams that can beat the Phoenix Suns. And I, I concluded Denver in my list, even though the defensive rating for Denver is not very good, but that really has a lot to do with Jokic not being a very good defensive player. Yeah. But Aaron Gordon, we talked about this, Aaron Gordon's a really good defensive player. KCP's a really good defensive player. They've got a lot of size. But Gordon's ability to guard one through five. He can guard a point guard, he can guard a two guarding guard a center. Has his ability to guard all those guys has been a key to what Denver does defensively. Denver, I mean, the team rating, to your point, not so great, but individually, and we've seen it so far the first two games in the series, individually, whether it's KCP, whether it's Aaron Gordon, they have some really good individual defenders, and that's not even counting. I mean, Kevin Durant had a shot blocked in game two. When was the last time you ever saw that? 
It was, it was Brown, it was right? Bruce Wasn't Brown. it Brown? It was Bruce Brown who, who met him at the top and blocked his shot. Now, Durant was kind of fading and falling and going. So, you know, and I'm not trying to build any excuses for KD. It wasn't like KD rose straight up because that's almost impossible to block given how long his arms are. But when was the last time you see Kevin Durant blocked in a game, right? It almost never happened. Very rarely was, ever because of his ability to to get up, to just get high with that length those and those long, long arms. arms and right, and the can't quick get release, you can't do it. Now, look, the old adage in the NBA is is that eventually good offense is just better than good defense. Like like elite offensive players will find a way to score against even elite defensive players. This clearly, and the numbers back it up, the eye test backs it up, this clearly has been in favor of Denver the first two games of the series. There's no doubt about that, right? Like you just, you watch these games and you can see. Eventually, if you're a Suns fan or a believer that the Suns can or need to get back into the series, it's got to start with Kevin Durant figuring it out, right? It's got to start with Kevin Durant going, yeah. okay, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to play it again just because at the beginning of that second soundbite that I played, Michael Malone was very, very clear about, you know, bulletin like, board. Yeah, but we're not we're not trying to we're not trying to give any kind of motivation here or anything. This is not bulletin board material. He is not stopping Kevin Durant. No one is. No one is. Right. Yeah. Like, like careful. He's careful. making it hard on him. Just yeah. trying to make it hard He's on him. Trying to make it tough. Not going to stop him. He's going to get his points. A great player. We can't stop him. And, but like in Denver, it's like he's the dragon slayer. And add another comment for him. They called him some the star wrecker. He's the star wrecker, the dragon slayer. The star wrecker. Yeah. <laughs> the dragon slayer. Yeah, they just because of the job. I mean, listen, I mean, Kevin Durant's one of the greatest players that's ever played the game, and he's had his struggles in this series against the Nuggets. And, you know, we knew going in that Aaron Gordon was a really good defensive player. I think one of the best players at his position, defensively in the whole league. But a lot of times people look at that metric that you just mentioned, like, then, oh, Denver's def- they're not a great defensive team. But no, it's not. They are. They're really, yeah. they're very good. It's just that they really struggle in one area, and that's Jokic is not a very good defensive player. Honestly, it's his offensive proficiency that's been the big surprise. Gordon's? Yes. We, yeah. we all knew Game he one. was a good defender. I mean, uh, it's offensively the fact that he's the highest rated offensive player so far through for the two games. That's probably not going to last. Depending on how long the series lasts, that part probably isn't going to last. I still think KD can get the best of him, will eventually get the best of him, just because I'm kind of leaning on the history of offensive players in this league, how and eventually get they, calls they at home. get theirs, right? They're going to get calls at home. He's going to get in foul trouble. You're going to yes. adjust, and, and he's going to drive more. I saw some comments today from KD where he says, i got to drive a little bit more. Um, Monty Williams today talking about, once again, lineup adjustments that he might make without revealing anything specific. Here's what he said. We're hopeful that... A few adjustments to the lineup, not just campaign, but um, a couple of the guys that play in point five, space the floor a little bit more, can help us. But for sure, campaign, his ability to get down the floor um, and get into stuff um, quickly certainly helps. I play that soundbite for a reason. Don't you listen to that soundbite, get the impression that Monty Williams is planning on making a few changes when it comes to how it looks? Yeah, when you're down to nothing, that's what that's right. what coaches have to yeah. do. Yeah, it's it's what like we it. did didn't work. I have to make adjustments, and now you're without Chris Paul, so you've already got one big adjustment to make. But you got to look at other. Look, Landry Shamit played a lot of minutes in game one. He didn't play it all in game two. Mm-hmm. Their bench has been useless, just useless. They've got nothing out of their bench. He's got to figure out why. And if if it's playing T.J. Warren and Terrence Ross, then it's playing those two guys because you got to do something because you know you can't you're not going to have a chance of coming back in this series if you continue to get zero from your bench. Well, rock and roll. 
Hall of Famers, Red Hot Chili Peppers, headed to State Farm Stadium with special guests, The Strokes, on May 14th. You can win a pair of tickets right now by visiting the contest page at ArizonaSports.com. They got a lot of positive reviews for the trades they made during the draft. Were their trades even better than we thought in the moment? Maybe so, and we'll tell you why next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. One week ago today, it was the NFL Draft. One week ago today, you and me and Wolf and Bick, we were all down at the Cardinals' big draft party there on the Great Lawn outside of State Man, Farm Stadium. Weeks passed already. I know, right? One week ago. One week ago. NFL drafting. Yeah. And in the moment, I'll just be honest with everybody, in the moment, yeah. when we found out the Arizona Cardinals made that first initial trade, the one where they went back from 3 to 12, we were, I'm almost embarrassed to say it now, we were a little underwhelmed in the moment. Well, because we really based it a lot. We were totally expecting a quarterback. Now, I don't know what the difference is. I don't know why people compare it. If I'm trading down, I'm trading down. What the hell do I care what the team comes up to get a player for? You know? I agree. Here's the going, you know, but that, it is. It's broken up into two categories. We were ultra-focused on somebody coming up to get a quarterback. And I, apparently the value is a lot more if you want to get a quarterback. But if you want to get a regular player, it's not as much. But but uh, that was the thing. We had, we had really focused on who's going to come up to three to get one of these quarterbacks. Is it going to be Tennessee? Is it going? We talked about all the different teams that could do it. Um, and then the trade goes down, and you're not getting the hole you would get for a quarterback. But people aren't comparing it to that. They're comparing it to other players. No, it's and, and to me that was the letdown, right? To me, for okay, and again, there was the trade back to six, and then ultimately. I liked it, but initially it was you went from 3 to 12, and I was thinking Trey Lance, Trey Lance, Trey Lance. I was fixated on the Trey Lance deal, and the Trey Lance deal was three number ones, right? It was this year's number one, next yeah. year's number one, the year after that, number one. And anything shy of that felt like failure to me. So when I saw the deal, when the trade came down initially, that very first trade, I thought, oh, that's it? That's it. And then it, you saw the Cardinals move back up, and then you realize it kind of dawned on you over the course of the days. Wait, hold on a sec. That first round pick from the Houston Texans, now that we know it's their pick and not the pick they got in the Watson trade, you know, in the Browns pick, it's their pick. That's going to be an extremely valuable pick next year, given how bad everyone thinks the Texans are going to be to this point. Story this morning on ESPN.com. According to ESPN, Nick Casario, the GM of the Houston Texans, committed the second biggest overpayment of draft capital for a non-quarterback in the last 20 drafts. That, according to ESPN Analytics, approximate value-based pick valuation tool. Basically, the Jimmy Johnson chart, right? That's basically what their version of the Jimmy Johnson chart. It's the second biggest overpay of draft picks to move up to get somebody that's not a quarterback in the last 20 years. The only one that was bigger was when the Atlanta Falcons moved from number 27 to number 6 to take Julio Jones. Falcons gave up their first-round pick in 2012, two second-round picks, and a fourth-round pick. They had a long way to go, right? So the Julio Jones trade, that was the Browns? That was the Browns. That was the Browns. That was the only bigger haul in the last 20 years? Yes. Yes. For a non-quarterback. And again, yeah. to your point, that's the distinction. For for somebody who's not a quarterback, and that's why some people around the NFL think that the Houston Texans, like, like if you're in Houston, the proper reaction a week later might be, boy, you better be 
damn sure about Will Anderson. Right. You better be sure that guy, because you just gave up what might be the number one pick in the draft next year when Caleb Williams is available, or Drake Mays from North Carolina is available, if that's more your cup of tea. You just gave up the number one pick potentially in next year's draft for Will Anderson. You better be damn sure he's going to be that good, right? And That's, that's why, kind of the reaction right now. Yeah, no, it's, it is. It's crazy to give up that much for a non-quarterback. You would think, let me just get the, let me just stay where I'm at and get the next best edge rusher, right? I mean, you could have stayed there and gotten, what, where did, uh, Tyree Wilson was gone at that time, right? He went seventh. He was the pick right after the Cardinals took Paris Johnson. But like, you could have gotten another player and not given up all those picks. Now maybe, you know, maybe they, they said Will Anderson was the number one player on their board they had to have him, which is why all the talk leading in, so many mock draft guys had Will Anderson going to them. Mm-hmm. They were just like, you know, you can't predict trades. You can never predict trades. So at the time, when you have to make a pick, who do you think the Texans are going to take it to? Man, a lot of people are here and they love Will Anderson. So they went Will Anderson. They did, and it wasn't it wasn't a bad thought. But he was trying to thread the needle. He was trying to you know get the dream scenario where I get the quarterback and I get the edge rusher. But yeah, you're hoping that you know they're hoping he's the next Lawrence Taylor. Because yeah. if he's not, you gave up so many picks, it could you know it could backfire on you. It was you. a really good read, and the Cardinals took advantage of it because basically, and we talked about this on draft night, but we'll kind of cover it again. Basically, had the Texans taken Will Anderson first at number two, now the bidding at number three because C.J. Stroud is a Available, the Texans are going to get outbid. Now they're setting up a bidding war for a quarterback. And this this is the distinction. Because they took – if they taken Will Anderson at number two, now you're setting up a bidding war for a quarterback at number three. Yeah. And that's where the Texans would have lost. And they knew they were going to lose. They did. So when they, when they take this quarterback at number two, C.J. Stroud – now they're basically bidding against themselves to get up to Will Anderson because nobody was right. really talking to the Cardinals about getting number three because C.J. Stroud wasn't there anymore, right? Like it changed the whole dynamic, but because they were so fixated on Will Anderson, they made the deal. They so made the let, deal. let's just have some fun with this. They revisited that trade, that Browns-Falcons trade. Results of the 2011 Browns-Falcons trade six years later. Okay. Falcons get Julio Jones. Browns get four players who didn't play a game this season. So what they did, the Browns traded the sixth overall pick to Atlanta for five draft picks. First round, second round, fourth round, plus a first and a fourth the next year. Um, The Falcons traded up. They got Julio Jones. The Browns got Phil Taylor. Okay. Greg Little. (laughs) Owen Marisick. And quarterback Brandon Whedon. They packaged the other pick to trade up for running back Trent Richardson. Oh, it was a total failure. <laughs> it was a total failure. It sure was. Yeah. Oh. Six years later, the Falcons were in the Super Bowl and the Browns were, was, you know, sitting atop the NFL draft board after they went one in 15. <laughs> Six years later, the Falcons were in the Super Bowl and the Browns went one in 15. So they traded all of they got all of those picks for Julio Jones. Man, is what a haul they got. They didn't do anything with the picks. Wow. They picked sucky guy after sucky guy. They they got nothing. Sucky guy after yeah. sucky this guy. This guy, they got nothing. I like that. I so like it was that. a terrible, terrible trade for the Browns. That really backfired on them. Yeah, it did. Because it, they didn't make anything out of the pick. So we may love the haul that the Cardinals got, well, it, but you got you to gotta make, make good picks with those. And, and, you, and you know what? I'm glad you said it. It kind of goes without saying, but you still, it needs to be said anyway. It's one thing to pull the trigger on a deal that everybody goes, oh my God, that's the second biggest overpay for a 
non-quarterback in the last 20 years. Now you got to finish it. Now you got to finish it by drafting good players. And now you got to right. finish it by, yep. by, by following through with the process and completing the process. Uh, Joe Banner, former Eagles and Browns executive, called the Texans trade last week, quote, one of the biggest overpayments of all time, close quote. It actually led pro football focus to write this. Uh, and I just read this this morning. New Cardinals general manager Monty Austin Ford may have just had the best debut draft we've seen in years. Based off of what he did. According to their metrics and projections, the Cardinals right now are currently projected to have number one, number two, number 33, number 66, 65, and 68 in next year's draft. That's a lot of swings of the bat early. That's a lot of swings early, man. And and that also includes uh, the Titans pick that you get because they moved up for Will Levis in the second round because they're projected to be awful, too. They're projecting the Cardinals could have five of the first 68 picks in next year's draft, including number one and number two. Yeah. And that's why I always say, listen, if you're going to be bad, be really bad. Why? Because then these good things like this can happen to you. It doesn't pay to win two other games and then nobody wants to move up to your spot. If you're going to be bad, be bad. Do, you know, Be great at being bad because then you're in a position to do things like this. Texas, your thoughts on the Cardinals and their draft one week later as we continue to look back on it. The FanDuel text line, it's open to you during the Burns and Gambo show. Just text us at 620-620 right now. Being up two games to none is an advantage, but it doesn't guarantee a thing. And the Denver Nuggets not only know that, they are saying that. Every single chance they get. That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Arizona Sports, the home of Phoenix Suns basketball. Suns playoff coverage presented by Michelob Ultra. Burns and Gambo talk Suns Nuggets now. Just real quick aside, listening to Ruby's Sports Center update. Yeah. Uh oh, on that Pac 12 thing. Raro. Uh oh. So, what was the, like, I saw conflicting stories. So, there was, and I'll just go quick on this. There was the Dennis Dodd story that ESPN is out as an option for media rights. Yeah. But then Nicole Auerbach yes. from the Athletics that ESPN remains a bitter for the Pac 12's tier one rights, a source tells. And her. I think Wilner said the same thing. Like, nothing's changed. No, absolutely. There's very much conflicting reports right now on whether the whether ESPN is out or not, or whether they're only in because they want that late night window game and nothing else from the Pac-12. But uh, I, I, I still the Pac-12 still doesn't have a deal. I, that's, I was just going to say I can't believe that hasn't been resolved yet. Well, okay, like nobody, we're, we're nobody wants still them. waiting on with you know the song everybody wants you. Yeah, by the Squire. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wants you is Fairly the Pac-12 not. song. Fairly not. No. So anyway, it's just I was listening to the update. I'm like, oh man, that Pac-12. Story. It's just it's just lingering. It's just, not just, going away. Just go to different conferences. ASU yeah, might advantage. end up with that. Go, we'll go to the Big Twelve. Might end up with it. I, at this point. It, nothing would surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if that happened. Michael Malone. Yesterday, they came into this series and they were the underdog. Vegas said the Nuggets were the underdog. Uh, not that ESPN is the end all be all, but I saw there there's 17 NBA writers. I think 13 of them picked the Phoenix Suns to win this series. Now they're up two games to none, and Michael. Malone is, is trying to keep that underdog spirit alive with his Nuggets crew. One thing I've been trying to tell her guys is everybody's so excited we're up 2-1-0 because the, the Suns going into the second round are the, the favorites to come out of the West. I don't want our guys thinking we've done anything. All we've done is hold serve. Like We're supposed to win two games at home. You know what I mean? That's, so I'm not celebrating. Like We haven't done anything yet you know you don't win a series in two games so my my mantra to our players is like 
We'll do something if we go down there and win game three. All right, now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. trying, man. He's no, trying. It, 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 you did everything you had to. You held serve. There's always that feeling that maybe you take your foot off the gas. They didn't do it in Minnesota. They got 2 nothing on the T-Wolves, and they came back, and, and they won game three. They yep. won game three. Yep. Now, they lost game four, but they won game three, and then they closed it out at home. Look. You try to win every game you play, right? But there's, there is an importance to, for the Nuggets, they had to win both at home. To keep home court advantage. For the Suns, you've got to win two now. Um, for the Nuggets, you could go into this and you try to win game three, you try to win game four. They would be thrilled if they come out of this 1-1. Even without Chris Paul. Oh, the series is over Thr- if they come. Yeah, cause they, it's over if they yeah. go 1-1. Yeah, the Suns have to, would have to win three in a row without Chris Paul, two of those games in Denver with the altitude. It, I think it'd be very difficult to do. Almost near impossible. Yeah. No, I mean, look, there's nothing that Michael Malone said there that was factually incorrect. Like, like he's absolutely right. This, the series doesn't start until the home team loses. And if they come here and they win one of these two games here, either on Friday or Sunday, then, then they can say they've done something then they can say that they've accomplished something well i just i'm laughing because the nuggets were the decided underdog going into this series make no mistake they are now the decided favorite in this series yeah. vegas says it the, your brain says it your heart says it, we all know it but the suns were the favorites based on not knowledge of seeing the suns play but like okay they added kevin durant yeah, but it wasn't based on okay. Like you, you looked at the Nuggets. You, they played all year. They were the number one seed in the West. They had the best record. Now, granted, it's one of the worst best records in the West. You know that, that anybody's ever had. Years, right, right. But they were the best for the Suns. It was just like you, you, you know, they had Chris and Da and Book and okay, they're in Kevin's right. They must be good. But we, you know, it was the, it was always the great experiment that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Like we were basing them being the favorites on they got Kevin Durant. He's a what was the adaptability, right? He's the most sure. adaptable player in the league. He'll fit right in. Everything well, you know, against the Clippers. And 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 in, in a way, I was thinking about this yesterday. New Orleans it was a little bit of a precursor to losing to Dallas, the struggles they had against New Orleans. Sure. I wonder if we're going to get to that point. I don't know yet. I wonder if we're going to get to the point. The struggles they had against an undermanned Clippers team without Kawhi Leonard, could that lead to an ouster by the Nuggets? Because last year, when we got done with the Mavericks series, man, should have seen those signs against New Orleans. They struggled, man. They were getting, Brandon Ingram was killing them. Who was Jose Alvarado and McCall? We talked about that after the fact that New Orleans, we should have seen the signs in the New Orleans series that the Suns weren't right. Right. Should Are we going to get to that point where... We should have seen the signs in the Clipper series. They didn't have anybody. And they almost beat the Suns in three games. Potentially. I, I think there's a very Four real possibility games. that this series is over sometime next week if the Nuggets take care of business. Either, you know, now I still believe the Suns can win both of these games at home and extend this thing to six or seven and give themselves a chance to get Chris Paul back. But if the Nuggets end up winning one of these two games here in Phoenix, are we going to look at the end of the series and go, yeah, we should have seen this coming? Yeah, there were warning signs plastered all over that Clippers series? Probably. Because let's be honest, with no Kawhi Leonard, those games shouldn't have been as close as they were. They shouldn't have been as tightly contested as they were. You should have had to play those guys the minutes that you had to play to win those games. It, it should have been, you, you should have been able to coast in at least a couple of those. So you see what I'm saying? Oh, of course, of course. Like, I, do. I might get to, we may, if they lose to the Nuggets in five, we might sit there and say, the warning signs were against the Clippers. Well, why? They didn't have Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, and they barely won those games. Barely. Yeah. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant have to play the whole game. They barely beat Terrence Mann. Like, I mean, 
you know, that's the thing. We just we made the Suns the favorites based on just they added this guy and he's one of the greatest ever. They'll be fine. But we didn't know. We, we didn't, didn't know. know for sure. But now uh, it, there's OK. Now the Nuggets are the favorites to win this series. And there is an inherent baked in pressure that comes with that. OK, we expect you to win the series. Now you're up 2-0. You've dominated the series. You've played right in. And now in the short term, there's pressure on the Suns to make sure they take care of business at home, and there's pressure there too. But the pressure that's on the Nuggets now is the kind that was on the Suns last year against the Dallas Mavericks. You went up two games to none with the greatest of ease, and the assumption was you're going to advance. Okay, you're, you're going to move on. You're going to finish this deal. And the Suns succumbed to that pressure. They couldn't finish with that pressure. That pressure is now on the Nuggets. That they, they, they can no longer sit there and say, oh, we're the scrappy little underdogs that nobody thought was going to win this series. Nobody believed in us. Nobody nobody was for us. Nobody thought we were baloney. None of that exists now. You're up two games to none. You've stuck it to the Suns in these two games. You are the favorite in this series, and with that comes its own kind of different level of pressure, right? Like yes. the pressure of yeah. you're up 2-0, don't blow this. The pressure of don't screw this up. That's the kind of pressure that Suns fans last year against the Dallas Mavericks are inherently familiar with. We all remember how that feels. And, yeah. and, the, and the Nuggets are kind of riding through that right now. Well, I mean, he said, like, we've got to be selfish. You know, going on the road, you got to be selfish. Like they did in Minnesota. They won game three. You know, he's you got to find a way to be, you got to get greedy now. Like, you've got the Suns on the ropes. You could deliver a knockout punch tomorrow. And if you come out with that attitude and you play that way, you know, maybe you get it. But, you know, if you don't, if you let up, if you're content with the 2 nothing lead and you play 95% instead of 100, you know, that's where the other team's going to beat you. But if you're the Denver Nuggets, you know, you smell blood, right? The blood in the water. Yeah. You can deliver, you can basically deliver a KO punch if you beat them tomorrow night and you know it. You look, know it. Oh, look, we've all been doing this a long time. And, and when I say that, I mean, not only have you and I been doing this sports talk show hosting thing for a long time, but people listening to us right now have been fans of sports for a long time. We all know the deal in situations like this. The Suns are going to be an extremely desperate basketball team on Friday. We saw it last night in the Boston 76ers game, Boston, right? Boston was Boston desperate. Boston was extremely desperate. They they had to win that game last night. They knew it. You go down 0-2, both games in your building, mm. you're screwed. You're done. You're yeah. toast. The Suns are in that exact same desperate position. I Look, I'm not telling anybody what to do with their money or anything like that. I think the Suns are going to come out and play like a real desperate bunch of basketball players tomorrow, knowing that their season is completely on the line. What happens in Game 4? I don't know. I don't know what happens on Sunday. On Friday... I'm pretty sure the Suns are going to play like the Boston Celtics played last night. Like teams that know if we lose this game, we're hosed, we're done, we're screwed. I think the Suns will play with that level of desperation. As bad as tomorrow. their continuity has been without KD, the one, you know, they did have, you know, outside of a small stretch, con- they've had a lot of continuity with Chris Paul, and now he's not there. And that's going to hurt him. And that's going to hurt him. And, and they need his scoring. They, they do. They need his scoring. They, they do. They, they need his. Connectivity. The way he's just so smart out there. He knows what he's doing. And he, gets DA involved. Yeah. He's great at getting DA involved. We need you, Suns fans, more than ever to rally the valley for games three and game four. Text the word ticket to 62620. Get yourself registered. Listen for your name today during the 7 a.m., 12 p.m., and 5 p.m. hour. Specifically, listen for your name today during the 5 o'clock hour here on Burns and Gambo for your chance to qualify for game three and game four tickets to see the Suns. 
Suns take on the Nuggets. Again, text the word TICKET to 620-620. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo Show, Diamondbacks playing well as of late, but they had to move on from a prospect that it makes a trade look that much worse. That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. The Burns and Gambo Need to Know Twitter Poll, presented by Sanderson Ford. All right, let's uh, roll out our Twitter poll question of the day here on the Burns and Gambo Show. We turn it over to Eric Ruby, who's once again looking ahead to Game 3 between the Suns and the Nuggets. We're, we're, it's a we're, big break between these games, It does feel like a guess. long break, doesn't it? I don't know what the poll question is. I'm going to guess it's that the Suns go 2-0, and 1-1, and or 0-2. I think we were saving that for tomorrow. Yeah, that's going to oh, be more tomorrow. tomorrow. That's what okay. happens when you have like 16 ga- days right, in yes. between Games 2 and 3. You're right, you're you know, right. And like, I, I, I'm glad the guys got the rest, you know, because I think Devin Booker could use it. I think Kevin Durant could use it. But as a fan, certainly it feels like there should be a game tonight or there should have been a game last night, doesn't it? Like it just feels feels like it's been a long break. Well, especially because in round one, they were playing every other day. Pretty much, right? And And now now there's a huge break. And I get it. you got to let the other series kind of catch up to where you are. I mean, tonight's what, game two between the Lakers and the Warriors? Yes. All those series, you got to kind of let them catch up. But uh, no, It sucks to sit on it, though. It does. When you're down. When you're down. You're two nothing, you're fine. You're up to you down to nothing. It's like you just want to play. Even when you're one one, like if the Suns had gone there, if the Suns had finished the deal in Game Two and won that game there, then you can tolerate a long layoff between Game Two and Three because you went there and you stole one, right? And you know, okay, we're in for a long series. The Suns are look. I think they're going to win on Friday. I don't know what's going to happen on Sunday. I think they're going to win on Friday. If they don't, they're like it's snaps if they don't win on Friday. Maybe. But that's not the question. What's No, it's a good conversation though. It, it well just yeah, because it, it's I can't even like can't even like my brain doesn't even understand that. The Suns get swept in the second round. My brain couldn't understand last year either, so I'm just along yeah, for the ride, man. Yeah. Honestly, this there would were, be worse. There were things about last year that were just hard to comprehend. Mm-hmm. Um this would be worse. Oh, no doubt. But going up 2-0 in total control over Dallas and then coming back 2-2, that was hard to comprehend. Especially because you could say the Suns were better than Dallas, even constructed as a team. That's what we were saying when they are up 2-0. At least now it's like, man, these Nuggets are playing really, really yeah, good. well. They're good. And then being yeah. up 3-2 after Game 5 against Dallas and just getting your doors blown off in Game 6 and 7, that was really hard to comprehend. All right. Um, so our poll question. Yeah, our today. poll question is not what Gambo thought it was, but that's probably what it's going to be tomorrow. Uh, what's our poll question today? Out of these three players who have seen limited or none playing time this series, who will have the greater positive impact in Game 3? You've got Campaign, Terrence Ross, and TJ Warren. It has to be Campaign. It's closer than you would think in the results. I mean, it has to be. I'll be honest. We were kicking around this this poll question in the office. Ruby didn't love it just because he thought everybody would vote for campaign. I think, right? Am I taking? Yeah, and it's it's closer than I thought okay. it was going. To be. I, it's campaign is the right answer, but I was I was kind of thinking, what, what's the result so far? What do we got? So campaign is leading the way at forty six point nine percent, but in second place at thirty nine percent, it's Terrence Ross, who some have even floated as a possible starter next to Point Book, TJ Warren, all the way at the bottom at fourteen point one percent. But I mean, if there's one thing about Ross, is he's going to light you up from beyond the arc. Well, he's going to. 
try. Try I mean, to he's, like yeah, he's, he's, he's going to shoot. There's no question about that. Um, that that is closer than I thought. Forty nine to thirty nine between campaign. And yeah, Terrence who's going to have the positive impact? Uh, the greatest, the greater positive impact out of those three guys. I'm surprised none none of the above wasn't an option. <laughs> Well, none of the above. We're cool. You seen this bench play? We're trying to think positively here. Campbell. I got you. I got feel you. the positive vibes. Yeah. Feel lean, lean into the positive vibes. All right, thanks, Rubes. That's the poll question. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. They struck him out, and the ball game is over. Diamondbacks win it twelve to seven. They were up. They were down. They were up again in a roller coaster of a game in Texas. And they will leave town with a series split. Nicely done from the Diamondbacks. It's not every day your number one pitching prospect makes his big league debut. And even though it wrapped up during our show yesterday and we talked about it a little bit, we thought it prudent to spend a couple minutes talking about Brandon Fott and his debut. And then kind of on the back end of that, a move the Diamondbacks made today that reveals a big fail when it comes to a trade they made. Let's talk about Fott for a minute. Yeah. Became just the 10th pitcher in Major League history to give up four home runs in his Major League debut. It was a little rough yesterday with the long ball that he he gave up. Yeah. Um, I mean, the more, the more concerning thing is this, you know, with Bumgarner failing so miserably, the only veterans you have in the rotation are Gallon and Kelly. And the trade deadlines, you know, there's nobody that's come walking through that door right now to help you. So the trade deadlines are ways away. Can you, you know, you try to, can you survive with these rookies? You know, can you survive with these three rookies in the rotation? You know, can they give, because what happens when you, you know, you're getting guys blown out after four innings, you got to go to the bullpen. The bullpen was great yesterday. I think it was four and a third innings scoreless after fat left. So the bullpen did a really good job, but you don't want to keep having to go to guys because your starting pitchers aren't getting you past the fourth inning. That was part of the reason why Torrey left Fought out there as long as he did. was He he, yeah. just, he knew his bullpen was gas, and he was just trying to get a, another out, and he left him out there a little too long, and then your guy Young hit the home run off of him there in the fifth, and ultimately that chased him from the game. But yeah, it's I'd be lying if I said that's not my number one concern about the day. Look, they're off to a great start. It's been fun to watch. They're, they're hanging. They're more than hanging in there. But if you're going to rely on three kids to make yeah. up 60% of your pitching rotation, that's kind of now. And the Dodgers are vulnerable this year. Yes. The Dodgers are not the great Dodger team that we've known from the past. They are they are vulnerable. Something else happened yesterday. The Diamondbacks designated for assignment Seth Beer. Oh, he was the hero of game one last year. <laughs> he He's got one of the greatest highlights of all time. <laughs> he was. I mean, he may never make it in Major League Baseball opening day. I walked it off. Hey, on opening day, it was against the Padres, right? Opening day off. last year, the walk-off after they were just getting their lunch handed to him. That whole game, Seth Beer with the walk-off home run on yep. opening day last year. He was designated for assignment. And if you're wondering why we're talking about this, it there's a story at ArizonaSports.com that points out the obvious. The return on the Zach Greinke trade, he was part of that. It did not work out well for the Diamondbacks at all. Not at all. Other than Josh Rojas. J.B. Boustakis is not even on the roster, right? He got released and then he got signed by somebody. Right, for goodness sakes. Yeah. Boukaskis. Boukaskis. Yeah. Boukaskis. That's how. He got released. I don't blame Gambo. That one's a tricky one. That was tricky. Okay. All right. You know what? I'll I'll back off. My bad. As a Greek myself, you know. J.B.K. J.B.K. Just call him J.B.K. Let me live. Let me live. That's going to be nice about retiring. I don't know if that people like criticize the way I speak. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm nice. sorry. I was just. It was no, just... People tell me like, oh, yeah, that's not the way you pronounce that name. Sorry. My bad. I yeah. apologize. I've uh, fallen the sword. So Seth Beer gone. 
JBK gone. Yeah, yeah. Corbin Martin's always been hurt. Yep. And Josh Rojas is a nice player. He's a nice player. He's yes. a nice utility guy. I like him. He's a he was a good find. I mean, he was the I think he was the they wanted the two pitchers. They wanted Buskaskis and uh, and Corbin Martin. That's who they wanted. They wanted those two guys. Beer was a throw in. Everybody said, "Oh, yeah, fun, yeah, fun with the name and everything." He's a power hitter, but you know, he just he just couldn't hit. He just couldn't hit for average. He struck out a lot, so he's gone. Two of the guys are gone, and this is but this is the position you put yourself in when you have to shed a guy salary. You got to shed a guy salary, and everybody in the world knows it. You got to trade him. I'm yeah. not giving you my. Now those were good prospects in the Astros organization, but they weren't their best prospects. No, they weren't. Arizona Sports breaking news. I'll jump in on this. Is one. this bad or good? It's. It doesn't have a local tie to it, but it's a big story. Adrian Wojnarowski. The Milwaukee Bucks have fired Mike Budenholzer. What? Budenholzer is out after the East's top seed suffered a first-round loss to the Miami Heat. That guy won an NBA champion. Mike Budenholzer got fired. Wow. After losing in the first round to the Miami Heat. Wow. He won a championship less than two years ago. Man, that's rich. Look, those guys get paid a lot, so I'm not going to sit here and weep for them. That's a rough business. When you win a championship and two years later, you're fired because you lost in the first round of the I We saw Nick Nurse get fired in, in Toronto, won a championship for him, brought them their only title. Yeah, yeah. Budenholzer, man, it must have been a... There must have been a power struggle amongst the, 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 the key players, the players on the team. That and just the fact that Budenholzer always struggled to adjust and to adapt and to right like like he just the the, the the adjustments you need to make over the course of a series he was getting I mean just think about that last game right think about the game that they lost to the the heat not calling a timeout to advance the ball to half court not calling a timeout so Grayson Allen doesn't dribble the ball out and the clock runs down to zero just little stuff like that little nuts and bolts stuff I know the guy won a championship but little nuts and bolts stuff like that he would routinely fail at and eventually it got him. Wow. Holes are fired. It had to be it had to be a you know Giannis and Middleton and Drew and those guys were okay with it, right? I mean they didn't they must have not have loved them. Um that'll be interesting. Do they go get Nick Nurse? Maybe. Maybe. By the way, this news just came down too. Okay. Um, and Man, and uh, I know, and this one's going to hit you weird too. Weird. Okay. The family of former NBA player and executive Lance Blanks asked us to send the following release on its behalf. He passed away. Passed away at the age of 56. Lance Blanks? Lance Blanks. Former professional basketball player and executive who worked as an ESPN analyst passed away on Wednesday, May 3rd in Dallas. He was 56 years old. Former general manager of the Phoenix Suns. Wow. Man. Wow. That young just came down a moment ago. That's so sad. Man, that's crazy. Our condolences. I mean, I... You know, say what you will about that. No, era, there's nothing but, to say. I mean, it's, 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 it's sad for our, our, to lose his life. Our condolences. That's a young age. Terrible. Just terrible. Was he in the NBA anymore? Was he still he, in the I, NBA? He was working for ESPN. I, that, according to the release, I wasn't aware of that. I don't know what he was doing for ESPN, but according to the release, he was 56 years he old. Was working wow. For ESPN. Wow. That's, that's something. All right. Well, we weren't expecting to shift to that news, but that's the news that we wanted to pass along to you. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, we go back to the series between the 
Suns and the Nuggets. Chris Paul hasn't looked like the same version of himself, but perhaps he's more impactful than we thought. That's next here on the Burns and Gambo Show.